0: Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Welcome Jubilee fam to the second week of 2021 and the second week of our sermon where we are taking a look at a section of teaching of Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount, where we are contending not just to be generally Christian, uh, but to be true followers of Him, not being a part of us and them, but authentically His. And the teaching of Jesus, of this teaching of Jesus is so relevant to where we find ourselves in our country today, because in large part, America, at least the church in America, has lost sight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, understanding the purpose of the church, understanding our role in society, and really understanding what is our true hope. And we have different groups uh, in our culture claiming that, that God is on their side, which is exactly what the audience of Jesus thought. And in this section, he is essentially saying, I have not come to affirm you. I've come to save you. I've not come to like your social media post. I've come to transform your life. And I'm ushering in a whole new way of relating to God, which has nothing to do with your performance, but has everything to do with my performance, which will produce in you an entire new way of living. And that's what we want to take a look at. And and with that in mind and with the, the recent events at the Capitol last week, there are a few kind of big picture things that I hope that we get out of this series that I just want to make plain to you before we get into the message today. Number one, I, my hope is for us is that we would uh, more and more feel a desperate need to attach ourselves to Jesus, which is this is going to have the effect of loosening our grip on any human institution. Or affiliation. The kingdom of God is not for those who have made the right decisions economically, politically, have gotten the right education, or just have the right perspective of humanity, but they are poor in spirit. That is, they are broken and they have a desperate need for Jesus. The Apostle Paul would say to the Corinthians that, hey, look, all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. My hope is that you and I would see that, yeah, taking politics seriously may be a permissible thing, but on the, in the call of God on our life, it may not always be profitable. Number two, I, I, I would hope that we would address the condition of our own heart and not merely condemn the actions of others. Jesus is dismantling, in this teaching, he is dismantling the idea that the only thing that matters is behavior modification, but ignore the underlying heart issue that led to be to the behavior. So as Christians, we cannot just look at what happened last week and just think, oh yeah, violence is terrible. Yeah, of course, violence is terrible. Uh, we, we should be grieved over the violence, but we shouldn't just be grieved over the violence. Like, hey, look, if we just get rid of the, the violence, if we just get rid of, If we can just be peaceable, you know, that'll make everything better. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, look, you can even get rid of murder. But if you don't get rid of the hate in your heart, if you don't get rid of that thing that produces murder, if you don't get rid of that thing that says, look, I just wish that person would just get out of my life and get off the stage and get away from me. Hey, look, you're not really dealing with the issue. Jesus, I believe, is inviting us to take a deeper look at our heart. You know, popular culture believes they'll say things like this, like, man, deep down... They're a really good person. Like If you just, if you just go deep down, uh, this person is good, or I am good, or my group is good, Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, actually, the deeper you go, if you get under behavior, if you get under the surface and you go down deep, it actually gets darker. And then again, we, we realize, oh my gosh, I am, I am poor in spirit. I am bankrupt and I need... Jesus. So we would, my hope is that we would address the condition of our heart and not merely condemn the actions of others. And number three, finally, is that we would point people to the light and not merely identify what is dark. As a culture, we are fascinated with calling people out. We are fascinating we are fascinated with you know condemning people, politicians do that. Um, you know our news media does that. we do that it 's it's like our pastime calling people out, calling out what is dark. Look, Jesus was so clear John three seventeen "I have not come to condemn the world. I have come." to save the world. I have not come just to point out what is dark. I have come to bring the light. The only one, the only one in the universe who has the moral authority to condemn says, look, that's not why I have come. I've not come to condemn, I have come to save. And he even told his disciples a parable because they, they kind of got on the same track we do. He told them the parable about wheat and weeds. And he says, look, um, your thing, your thing isn't to go and pull out weeds. Don't do that. You're not, to be, you're not to be people who pull weeds. You are to be people who sow seeds. You sow seeds of the gospel. You sow seeds of my kingdom. And I want to see a harvest of righteousness. And you have faith in me that I'm working in people's lives. And then at the consummation of all things, at, the second, at my second coming, then that's when the weeds will be pulled. So my, my hope would be that we would be a community that point people to hope, that point people to the light, and not just merely condemning. Uh, the darkness, not really pointing out what is dark. Our call is not to pull weeds, it's to sow seeds of the light and the goodness of the kingdom. It has never been more clear to me that I need Jesus, that we need Jesus, our country needs Jesus, which is why I am so excited and pleased that in the providence of God that we have this week of prayer and fasting in front of us. This is so timely because both prayer and fasting is a declaration of our dependence upon Jesus, our desire for Jesus. And, our, and the brokenness in this world is, is just highlighting just how much we need Him. And so we are going to engage this week of prayer and fasting. If you go to our website, jubileechurchstl.org forward slash fasting, you can get a ton of resources on how to fast and different kinds of fast and different ways of fasting, as well as resources on prayer and help you plan out the week and uh, as well as uh, a schedule for the week. We're gonna start uh, today on Sunday, we're, we're, we're beginning Uh, The fast uh, prayer starts uh, tomorrow morning with devotional prayer. We'll have devotional prayer Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. That'll be released on our YouTube channel. And then in the evening, we'll join together on our online platform at 6 p.m. And that'll be more about petitioning. So in the morning, it'll be devotional. In the evening, it'll be more about petitioning and asking God uh, to move on our behalf, and then at the end, on Saturday morning at nine a m we 'll end with a celebration. so i 'm going to change up the, the preaching in a little bit, the, the schedule, and there is a little section on fasting, which is in Matthew uh, six verse uh, sixteen. And I know I lost half of you even when I mentioned the word fasting. Fasting can be intimidating uh, unless you're like up for losing a few pounds um, man, it it can be intimidating, but I promise you that, uh, the more you do it and the more you learn about why we do it, I I think the more it's going to be appealing to you, exciting to you. So anyway, so in Matthew 6, 16, it says, and when you fast now that little word, when, um, rocked my world about four years ago. I was just going through the Sermon on the Mount, reading through actually the Lord's Prayer. I was doing a little study on the Lord's Prayer, and I read that word, when, and it just hit me. And I, and I felt like uh, the Holy Spirit of God was asking me that question, like, yeah, when when do you fast? And uh, at the time, unfortunately, my, my answer personally was like, not often. And then when you broaden things up, you know, like corporately as a church, I, I can't remember when the last time I called us together uh, to fast. And so we, four years ago, we changed that. We started uh, uh, rhythms of fasting, and we've done it in, in different ways. And we're going to do it again this week. We're going to give ourselves. Uh, to prayer and fasting. And so, and anyway, so he goes on, he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so what they were looking for was the approval of others in their fasting. Hey, look how spiritual I am. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret, secret will reward you. So what he's saying here, he's like, look, what he's not saying is like, hey, don't tell anyone when you fast. Uh, I think that would be taking it a little too literally. I think that the principle of what he's saying is don't do it for the approval of others. Don't do it for the approval of others. That's not why you fast. The reason why you fast, it, in part, it's kind of mysterious. He just says that there's a reward for you. God has a reward for you in fasting. Why do we fast? God has a reward for us. He has a, a benefit for us. And, and uh, well, what's the reward? What's the benefit? Well, I think he helps us out a little bit more if you go over a page to Matthew 9, uh, verses uh, 14-14. To 17, very important section on fasting. He, the disciples of John came to him. So John being John the Baptist, I'm reading out of Matthew 9, 14. It says, the disciples of John, John the Baptist came to him saying, why do we, so the disciples of John the Baptist, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. So two groups were fasting, but the disciples of Jesus were not fasting. And Jesus said to them, can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Now, he's saying a very helpful thing. He's also saying a pretty phenomenal thing. The first thing he's saying, he's saying that fasting is connected with mourning. So he connects fasting with mourning because in the Old Testament, which is the way that the disciples of John the Baptist and the way the Pharisees were fasting, they were fasting according to the way People fasted in the Old Testament, which the reason why they would fast is for consecration, uh, awareness of how sinful they were. They put on sackcloth, and and they would they would it would be a time of mourning. Fasting would be associated with mourning, or something terrible is happening in the nation of Israel, and so they would put they would fast for out of mourning. And he's like he's like, look, that that's an old a way of doing thing. But then he says the reason why they're not. Fasting, the reason really saying because the, the, they, they, it's not a time of mourning, because the bridegroom is here. Now in the Old Testament as well, uh, there was the, the primary analogy that was used to compare uh, God with Israel was bridegroom to bride. So, so Israel was his betrothed, that he was his bride and this intimate relationship in, in your mind, and, and we're, we we're going to have this covenant relationship that's going to last for all of eternity. And and so and so, Messiah, the the, the promised Messiah was associated with the bridegroom. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. God is here. I mean, this was like a phenomenal moment. There should have been an earthquake or something that just shook the world because this was a phenomenal. He's saying, I'm here. And when I'm here, that when, the, the, when hope is here, forgiveness is here, life is here, it's not a time for mourning. It's a time for rejoicing. And he compares it to a wedding feast. Now, in our culture, weddings are a party, but not much of one compared to them. I mean, I, you know, when I go to weddings and, uh, you know, I don't do much now, but I used to do a ton and, you know, weddings would last, you know, the ceremony would be 20, 30 minutes. And then, you know, you wait a little bit and then you'd have a couple hours of, of reception. And uh, But weddings back then were not just hours, they were days. They were huge, massive parties. I mean, they would probably show up at our Thanksgiving and be like, where's the food? I mean, this looks like a snack because they would just get after it. And so he's saying, this is a time for celebration. I am here. If the bridegroom is here, it's not a time for mourning. It's a time of rejoicing. And he's just saying a really phenomenal thing. And then he goes on, he says though, um, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them and then they will fast, referring to when he ascends into heaven. He says, when, when I leave, then my disciples will fast. And they did fast. You read through uh, the book of Acts and, and the other epistles, you see that the early church gave themselves to fasting. And then he adds... And then he adds, uh, and this is helpful. He says, "'No one puts a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment, "'for the patch tears away from the garment, "'and a worse tear is made. "'Neither is new wine,' referring to what he's doing, "'the forgiveness of sin, the the coming of the kingdom. "'No one puts new wine into old wineskins.' If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, so both are reserved. So what he's saying here, he's not saying, uh, you know, this all fasting is, has ceased. But what he's saying, there's a kind of fasting that has ended, which is fasting for consecration. There's no more need to consecrate yourself because. The new wine that Jesus that I have consecrated you. God consecrates us. So we don't come to fasting to, to mourn and and to receive the, the approval of God. So we don't we don't fast to receive the approval of man, and we don't fast to, to receive the approval of God because we already have it in Jesus. And we are and if you add this new wine, this new reality that Jesus has saved us from our sin and he has relieved us from our guilt and he has paid our shame and he has given us fresh white robes of righteousness and we are justified before the living God. If you take that new wine of the kingdom and you put it in an old wineskin of fasting and mourning and sackcloth, you're gonna ruin both of them. It's just gonna blow up in your face. It's gonna burst. You're gonna ruin, you're you're gonna distort the gospel. You're gonna distort the new wine and what you've received and actually fasting isn't really gonna work for you. So why do we fast? Well, here's why we fast. We fast, not because we haven't tasted of the kingdom. We fast because we have tasted of the kingdom. We've tasted of the age to come and we want more of it. I mean, have you ever had a bite of something where you're like, you're totally satisfied at one level, but now you want another bite and another bite and another bite. That is what's going on here, that we, we fast because we've tasted of something and we want more of that something. Um, it's just like we do that in culture. Like we we give up lesser things to grab a hold of something greater. And that is why we fast. We fast because we want more of his presence. We have his presence, but we want to experience more. It's like David, when he says things like this in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. In Psalm 62, he says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Check this out. Because your steadfast love is better than life. That's why we fast. We want more of him. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So fasting is giving up of something good to have something much better. And David's like, "I'll, I'll exchange a thousand days elsewhere for one day in your presence. He, David is wanting. this is what Paul was saying too in Philippians three. So David did this, Paul did this. He says in, verse, in Philippians three, uh, verse eight, I'm getting ahead of myself, getting a little excited about this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. So he's saying, look, I wanna put everything aside so that I can experience more of God. And that is what, why we fast. It's not a command. It's not a command. It's not a requirement. It is an invitation. It's an invitation to experience more of Him, more of Him. Setting setting food aside. Maybe we need to set other things aside. Maybe we need to set media aside, TV aside, comfort aside. Set things aside that are good things, that that our flesh wants, that we Enjoy, and it's it's good that we enjoy, it's fine that we enjoy it, but we want to set that aside so that we can experience something superior. Jesus is telling us that the way to abundance is through abstinence. It's through setting things aside, putting boundaries on things. I mean, our culture has the exact opposite message. It's more and more and more and more your flesh, your flesh, your flesh. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, the way to abundance is absent not to take something from us but so that we would experience something greater that we should not live on bread alone that there is food that we don't know about that's going to feed our soul that when we set aside food that when our body aches you know it get, you know when you fast if you're going to take the, if you do this fast this week i mean your your stomach is going to rumble you're going to have hunger pains and you're going to you're going to long for food and it's a moment to say, look, I, as much as I want food, I want God more. And it's an invitation to receive Him more. So it's to receive the presence of God. It's also to receive the power of God. So we want to engage the presence of God. We want to invite God in and we want to experience more of Him. It's also that we want to experience more of the power of God. There's this time in Matthew 7 and, and Mark 9, where the disciples, they're ministering, they're, 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 they're doing what God had them to do. They're, they're, they're sharing the gospel, they're casting out demons, but they encounter a barrier. They encountered a barrier that they could not get through. And there was a boy with a particular kind of demon, which is a whole other you know, message in itself, that there are different kinds of demons. But they weren't able to do it. Jesus comes alongside, cast out the demon. The disciples are like, hey, how come we couldn't do this? And he said, this kind, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. And so we fast for an encounter of God's power. And we're gonna do that too. We're gonna, get, we're gonna in the morning, say, God, would you come? I want more of you today. I want you to be the, the primary uh, source and, and power in my life. And then in the evening, we're gonna come and we're gonna ask God for power. We're gonna ask God to break through. Now, I know sometimes that makes you nervous, Uh, the the phrase breakthrough, some of you, that makes you really excited, and I just want you to know that the Christian life is both about engaging the ordinary uh, disciplines, uh, like we value the Word of God, and we value daily Bible reading, we wanna get in God's Word, and and I think that's what most of Christian life is, most of Christian life is a process, most of Christian life is is just kind of day to day and ordinary, and um, you know, it's... It's kind of like you have it, no fireworks go off. You just kind of experience God in, in a day by day basis. Like, I don't know what I had for dinner, you know, two weeks ago. Um, I'm speaking a lot about food, am I? Uh, I don't know what I had for dinner two weeks ago, but I know that it, it sustained me and helped me. And it's the same thing with like engaging his word and engaging devotions, being involved in community, experiencing. Uh, corporate worship, and engaging God that way, that it has an effect. And, and what's going to happen over the course of your life, you know, five, 10 years from now, you're going to find yourself on the deep end of the pool. You're going to have a reservoir of the goodness of God inside of you from day in and day out Christianity, I'll call it that way, engaging a process to where you're going to have an overflow of God's word in you that that when you counsel, uh, when you stand firm in, in, in the in the place of of suffering and difficulty, you're gonna have a reservoir of God's word in you. He's gonna be shaping you and molding you, according to Romans 12, that you're gonna have a renewing of your mind through the word of God, that to engage this day in and day out process. I mean, I've seen the fruit of this in the life of my mom a couple years ago. Some of you know this. She went in the hospital with uh, something known as Guillain-Barre paralyzed from the shoulders down, in immense pain, could not eat, breathe, move, communicate on her own for weeks, Uh, but in the middle of it all was able to blink the phrase. Uh, It took forever for us to understand what she was saying, but she was able to blink the phrase, and uh, this is the day. In the middle of her pain, in the middle of her suffering, not knowing if she'll live or die, was able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That is not momentary, emotional Christianity that came from years of of engaging the word of God in ordinary process. Now, now, having said that, one ditch is that we would ignore the ordinary process, but the other ditch is that we would get so caught up that we would, sorry, caught up is the wrong word, but that we would so like, get involved in 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 the process of this that we would somehow at the expense ignore the fact that God moves in power that God wants to break through in power so we just stop praying we stop believing we stop trusting we just think life is meant to be endured and anything that comes my way is his sovereignty and I shouldn't try to challenge it yes and amen to God's sovereignty and that will sustain us in uh, you know when it gets dark however We are those, like we see in the Bible, biblical Christianity is also contending for God to break through, to believing that God can break through in the moment, that God can change a situation in the moment. And we wanna be that kind of church well. We wanna engage the word of God, be submitted to the word of God, submitted to, uh, and and be committed and submitted to his word. And we wanna be committed and submitted to his spirit because both, both the word of God and the spirit of God point us to Jesus. And that's what we're after. We want Jesus to be central Uh, in our lives, in the life of our church. He's our savior, he's our Lord, he's our hero, he's our friend, he's our master. And so what I'm asking you to do, I'm asking you to engage with us as in this week of prayer and fasting. And I just want you to know that you can do this. You can do this. Um, The deep things of God are not for the select few. There's no Christian SEAL team. There's, There's no representative who can do this for you you've been invited to do this. The attendants have been invited to do this, as it says in what Jesus said in in Matthew 9. We've been invited in to do this. Anyone who wants to participate with Christ in his work, we have been invited. Not commanded. We've been invited to receive more. And I think it's, I I would encourage you to, to consider how much we have come in our culture, how much we, we care way too much about comfort. We care way too much about what's going on you know, in Washington. We care way too much what's going on in other parts of the world, and we don't care enough about what's going in our own life, in our own world. We should care about both, but man, we need to care about what's going on in us. And this is a week where we could say, God, man, I need you and I want you, and I need to experience more of you, and I want your power. I, I know that, that money will fail me. I know that education will fail me. I know that politics will fail me, but I know that you will never fail me, and I want your presence, and I want your power. And so over these next seven days, we're, we're going to pray for a lot of things, but I want to encourage you to pray for your own personal passion and revival. And sometimes it's not so much that we need more of God, but actually God needs more of us. The picture of Jesus, he's standing at the door in Revelation three, he's standing at the door and knocking and he's waiting for us to answer. The picture isn't that we are standing at the door and knocking and we're waiting for God to answer. The picture is, is that he's at our door waiting for us to answer. And fasting is is a way of getting up and saying, I want you to come in. Do you want him come in we have total access to god he is with us now he is with us all the time we have complete and total access to god the question is does he have access to us we want to say in this week god we want you to have access we want to engage you so I urge you Jubilee Church to join us in this week of prayer and fasting not because you haven't tasted of the new wine not because you are not yet a part but because you are a part and you want more of it you want more of his presence you want more of his power so here's what we're going to do I'm going to give some more instruction here in a minute but I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing a song about inviting his presence in right now Lord Jesus I thank you I thank you that you've done all the work on the cross, that you've invited us into the kingdom. God, I just want to pray uh, for all those who don't know you. I pray, Lord Jesus. And, and if that's you, I just right now, I just want to say in this moment, if that's you, like you've never said, hey, I've, I don't know that I've ever tasted of this wine that you've talked about. I don't know that I've ever entered into the kingdom. Asked for forgiveness of sin. I always thought it was about my behavior and doing better and being better. If that's you, I just want you to just to go ahead and just right now raise your hand wherever you are. If you're by yourself, if you're with a friend, if you're in an auditorium, just raise your hand. And say, yeah, I want, I want to taste. I want to taste of this, this new wine. He offers it. He is here. He has come and he, the doors of heaven are open to you. If you want to receive this, you can receive it now. Lord, I thank you for those that you have just brought into your kingdom. And I just pray for all of us here right now that we would all experience your presence in a new and powerful way. Amen.